Welcome to Series 3 of Depollution from Salvage One. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and the vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this episode, we are joined by Sarah Hamidovic of VET Environmental Engineering. Sarah and her team are passionate about environmental engineering and lead the field in the USA. Sarah also has a passion for leadership and management development. Have a listen to our conversation and find out how you could achieve 102% on your environmental audit. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. As a Sorry, way of introducing, as a way of introducing yourself, can, can you give us a bit about yourself, your career, uh, and and your current role and, and company? Sure. Um, so I am uh, born and raised in Indiana for the most part, um, Midwest girl. Um, my father was uh, a geologist or is a geologist and I, so I was kind of brought up in the environmental industry, um, kind of lived it my whole life. Um, so growing up, we um, kind of loved following my dad around and doing the things that he did. Um, got a lot of experience and know-how from him for sure. Uh, and then went to high school here in Bloomington. Um, then got a senatorial nomination to go to West Point um, from Senator Richard Luger in uh, 1999. And so I started attending the United States Military Academy in the year 2000. Uh, did that for four years and graduated in 2004. Um, while I was there, I uh, played volleyball and track. So I'm, I'm one of those athlete types. And then after graduating West Point, um, I was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Army and did just over five years in the Army as a combat engineer lieutenant. And then uh, captain was my rank when I got out. I was actually medically retired for some injuries that I had. So I did the Army thing and then came back to Bloomington and went to work for my dad at his consulting company, which was called Fields Environmental Incorporated. And during my time at Fields, I actually got involved with salvage yards for the first time. And that was in 2010. And so I've been doing it for going on 12 years. Um, So the first yard that we worked with was actually kind of what you would call a mom and pop yard in Southern Indiana, very small, just family operated, just the husband and wife were running it. And they had gotten hit by environmental regulators and did not understand what the regulators were saying or what it meant or what it meant or what uh, they were supposed to do to fix it. And so I kind of, that's what got me started in this industry, trying to figure out how to be a translator, for lack of a better word, between the operator and the regulators. Um, And then in 2013, I struck out on my own and started Vet Environmental Engineering, which is my current company. And I started that company with the goal, it was a compliance shop. So basically the goal of the company was to help industrial facilities comply, whether it be with environmental regs, safety regulations, um, just all different things. We've helped people with salvage permits, just helping folks comply. 
Um, so that's what I'm currently doing. Okay. Now you mentioned there, you say industrial facilities. So yes. you're not solely focused on the salvage and the recycling industry. No, we are not. Um, I would say salvage and recycling is probably roughly 15% of the business that we do. We also do a lot of, we are basically a full service environmental company now. Um, yeah. We do lead paint, asbestos, we do environmental cleanup, so leaking underground storage tanks, all different sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And w when you started, was it just just yourself? Or, it was. Or, okay, and, and how many employees have you got now? Uh, we've been as high as 14, and right now I think we have 11. Yeah. And of those employees, they're people that you've brought into the business because they're environmental specialists or audit specialists. What's what, what sort of thing are you looking for in, 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 in your staff? So I'm looking for absolutely credentialed environmental professionals. So people that are trained um, at a minimum, usually a bachelor's degree in an environmental role or a science role. Um, most of my folks are environmental scientists and most of my folks have master's degrees. Right. And so I'm looking for people that are well-educated, but most importantly, I'm looking for that good character, the people that you can count on, um, people that will treat my clients well, um, people that can relate is a mm -hmm. huge one for me, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times consultants come off as kind of starch collared, stuff shirted type folks. And I really don't want our company to be that way. I want to be relatable. Yeah. Uh, and, and do you bring people in because they're, they're specialists in, in salvage and recycling or is it just environmental in, in general? Or, or you know, do you have specialists within the business that, that will only focus on one area of the business? Typically not. Um, a lot of the environmental regulatory stuff that we do. Um, so, for instance, a salvage yards regulations are very similar to a limestone quarries mm -hmm. regulations. Mm -hmm. And so. I bring in people that specialize in the environmental concepts yeah. and then I help teach them the industrial component. Right. Brilliant. And obviously you're bringing, and I love that word that you said, you're bringing a translation service between the operator and the regulators. How does that translation service, how, how does that fit with the, with the recycling industry? What, what sort of things are you doing in the vehicle recycling industry? that you're translating? Sure. So, you know, there, there is a whole range of folks in the auto, auto recycling industry. And it, you know, goes back to the facility that I mentioned first, someone that uh, they're in the country, they don't have a lot of contact with the regulatory agencies. They may not understand a lot of the stuff because, um, you know, the, the auto recycling industry is an old industry. And it's one that it's a lot like the agricultural industry where, it's often multi-generational. Um, you know, the, the child has been taught by the father who was taught by the grandfather who was taught by the great-grandfather or in some cases, grandmother. Um, but so there, there's a lot of uh, folks that are stuck in their ways and, you know, their father or mother didn't have to deal with these environmental regulations. So it's something completely new to them. Hmm. And when they get a letter from an environmental regulator that has all of this information, things they've never heard of, it's extremely overwhelming. It's difficult to understand. And so we strive to be a source of information that understands both the regulatory context, but then also can be relatable and explain it to these folks in a way that they can understand. 
Um, and then on the other hand, you have facilities that are super savvy. They, you know, they have a, a lot of technology and a lot of know-how, but in a lot of those cases, they just don't have the time mm -hmm. to mess around with a lot of the environmental stuff. And so we try to be a resource for them to take a lot of that work and just minutia, for lack of a better word, off their plate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that they can focus on the bottom line and profiting. Brilliant. That's amazing. That is amazing. And when you're completing uh, an inspection, an audit on, on, on a yard, what sort of best practice are, practices are you looking for around the business, whether it's in the yard, in the workshop, uh, in the stores, in the offices? What, what makes a, a good audit? Sure. So one of the things I love about auto recycling and the audits that we do is that I feel like most of the things that folks do wrong are something that pretty much anyone can identify are being done wrong if they just employ common sense. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if it looks dirty or it looks unprofessional or if it looks disorganized, it's probably not being done correctly. And I love that because you don't have to have a fancy degree or a, you know, be super intelligent or whatever the case may be. You can, you can do it just by employing common sense. And that's one thing about this industry that I absolutely love is it is a very, very common sense industry. A lot of our clients are legitimate inventors, the way that they reuse things. And it's, it's incredible, the folks in this industry. And so everyone in the industry has the tools they need. We just kind of serve as that go-between to help them get to that successful place. Amazing, amazing. And some some of the great stuff you've seen and, and i know i know some of the yards that you go to but some of the really good stuff that you've seen as you go around a yard can you just just you know explain a yard and, and something that's really really caught your eye that's, that's absolutely fantastic sure so um one of our facilities in western illinois um used a it was a combine so a combine harvester mm -hmm. and they basically rigged it up to where it would drive down the aisles of the, the salvage yard and had these arms that they had created off of the combine that would spray, spray the weeds. And so they would basically just drive down the aisleways and these arms would reach out over the cars and they were using some sort of um, herbicide that would not damage the paint or anything on the car. Mm -hmm. And they would use that to spray for weeds, wow. which especially in our locale, it's a very big issue because there's, you know, the old timey salvage yards have trees and things growing through cars. Yeah. And so he had developed a solution using salvage material to, you know, handle a problem that a lot of folks really struggle with and is really expensive. Brilliant. What an amazing invention. Right. And it's so cool. And yeah. it's just a little country yard, but such a great, great invention. It's amazing, amazing. And swapping that around, what's some, what sort of the, you know, some of the most common problems you encounter when, when you're, when you're completing an audit, you know, what, what's, sure. what's, the, what's the most common failings that you see? I think across the board, the most, and this is from, you know, the smallest country yard to the biggest urban yard we work for. I think the biggest problem we see across the board is record keeping. And what I try and stress to our clients is anything you get rid of, whether it be oil, antifreeze, tires, mercury switches, 
um, your scrap metal, your batteries, any of the things that you get rid of, keep records for that. And a good example or a good reason why is I work for a facility uh, here in Indiana that has another facility nearby that is not very compliant. And so we work for the compliance facility and there's another facility that was taking trailer loads of tires and dumping them in the river. And so, you know, what I told my client is we have to have proof of where your tires went because when a bunch of tires wash up on the bank of the river, we want to be able to show that that did not come from our, from our facility, mm. that we had a hundred tires come in and we had a hundred tires go out legally. And that's the, the main thing is think of your environmental record keeping sort of like you do your accounting, whereby anything that comes in, you have to show that it also went out and it should balance just like your books do. Mm -hmm. So that if you ever get pinged for something bad, you can pull out these beautiful records and say, well, they don't have to be beautiful. They can be, you know, napkin drawings for all I care. <laughs> as long as their documentation, yes. but you've got to be able to show that what came in went out responsibly. Mm -hmm. That is amazing advice. And, and anybody listening to this podcast, just rewind the last sort of 40 seconds and listen to it again, <laughs> because it's amazing, amazing Thanks, advice. <laughs> now, I was at a conference, a state conference a few years ago, and the, the association was giving out awards to vehicle recyclers based on their environmental compliance score. And some scores were over over 100%. How, how is this possible? How can they achieve more than 100%? They bribed me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so you would be referring to Indiana. Um, and in Indiana, we've got a really, really cool relationship with the environmental agency. It's the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. And it's the state agency that manages the environmental compliance for the state. Yeah. And so when we were developing the InCares program, which is the Indiana Certified Automotive Recyclers Exemplary Standards Program, um, when we were developing that program, we sat down with IDEM and we said, hey, look, uh, we want to represent automotive recyclers in the state of Indiana. And we want to do that in a cooperative way with you, IDEM. And what that did is we basically showed them our stuff and they showed us their stuff because they also have a certification program. It's called the Indiana Clean Yard Program. And so we wanted to express to them that, hey, look, the clients that we work for, we've got them handled. You don't have to babysit them. You don't have to show up on their doorstep every year. We've got them handled. And in order to do that and to show them that, hey, we don't want to take them away from your program. We want to work in conjunction with you. So any facility that does both our in-care certification and the Indiana Clean Yard certification, if they get Clean Yard Gold, which is the best rating you can get from the state of Indiana, they are awarded an extra two points on their audit form. And so if they scored 102, that means they got 100% from my organization and that extra 2% for getting the best certification in the state. That's a, that's a major incentive. And, and from what I saw at the, at, the, um, at the awards session, there's a lot of competition there. There is, yes. People get very competitive. And you know, the first year, my favorite story about the InCares program um, we have several, we have two other programs like that right now, one in Illinois called Illinois Green Car and one in Pennsylvania called Pen Cares. Um, but in Indiana, um, 
the first time I gave out a hundred percent was to Marty Hollingshead at North Lake Auto Recyclers. And I told him prior to the audit, I said, no one will ever get 100% on my audit. And I spent some time pretty much crawling around on my hands and knees around his crusher pile, um, trying to find a drop of oil or something that I could dock him points for, and I was unable to. So I was wrong. 100% is absolutely possible. And this is a program that you that Vet Environmental have developed with the, the various different states. Sure, yes, absolutely. And so it's very similar to the ARA program, mm -hmm. um, but ours has a state-specific component. So for instance, a lot of the different states have different regulations with respect to tires, mm -hmm. how many tires you can have on site, how many have to be indoors, how many can be outdoors, et cetera. And so our audits have uh, state-specific requirements that um, the ARA's audit doesn't necessarily get into the, the weeds that far, yeah. um, just to make sure that our clients have that peace of mind that when we're gone, whatever score you get, the things that we docked you points for, you know that those that's where you've got um, you know, liability, that's where you yeah. have risk and the things that you need to work on fixing. Yeah, yeah. wow, amazing, absolutely amazing. And you mentioned record keeping as being something that you know is key to, to all of this, but there's obviously more to, to achieve 100% or achieve 102%. There must be more in the business and it's got to revolve around the management and the leadership of the, of, 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 of the company. Mm -hmm. Why is this so important and what can Vet Environmental do to help uh, the industry improve in this area? Sure, I think that uh, there is absolutely a relationship between our most high performing facilities and their good management and good leadership. And a, an anecdote I have on that is there's been a couple of yards in particular that stand out to me that, you know, I'm there doing an audit and I make a correction or I say, hey, you know, I've got to take off points for this because you're not doing this correctly. You're not compliant with this particular task. And a lot of facilities just, okay, whatever, let's move on to the next thing. But these couple facilities that stand out in my mind, they stopped me, they said, excuse me, please. And they walked over to the person on their staff that was doing that thing. And they used that as a teaching moment. Mm. Um, they said, hey, Sarah, let's explain this. Let's walk through this because clearly if we're not doing it right, there is a disconnect and someone does not understand or we are not spot checking like we should be. I think that's a really big one. There are a number of facilities where I will ask the owner, and I do this on purpose because I've done it a time or two, but I'll ask the owner or manager, hey, uh, trunk plugs, for instance, that's an excellent example. A lot of states regulate removal of trunk plugs to prevent accumulation of water and breeding of mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. And so that's one that I always ask, hey, are you guys removing your trunk plugs? And the owner manager always says yes. Well, then we walk out on the yard and I start snooping around in trunks and all the trunks are full of water. And that's a great example of something that the owner and manager believes they are doing, but because it has not been spot checked, the folks get lazy or complacent or whatever it is and they don't actually do it. And so the, the excellent performing facilities are the ones that circle back and the owner manager walks the rows and looks in the trunks. And then they look at the, the bumper number on the car and they say, you know, hey, Joe, you did the dismantling on this car and there's water in the trunk. What's going on? Mm. 
So it's huge. Uh, leadership and management are huge. And you know, one of the things to answer your question about how VET can help with that is, you know, I pride myself on my leadership training. I was trained at West Point, and it's you know considered one of the pre premier leadership academies on earth. And so it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. And I'm by no means an expert, but I do have some good tips and tricks that I think I've imparted on my staff and that we can help you know, spread to the industry. Brilliant. And one of the things, I'll just circle back to a comment you just made, mm -hmm. um, and you, you spoke about a, a teaching opportunity. And, and what, you're, you know, what you're implying there is this is not, we're telling somebody off. We're, we're we're reprimanding them we are we're we're teaching them and and that's a to me that's a that's a change of mindset within within business business ownership because you're moving away from being a manager to being a leader and, and that terminology that you're using is it's a teaching moment it's not a reprimand or or, or, or a telling off absolutely and that's something that we strive very, very hard to do in my company as well is, you know, we're walking around a facility and we see something that may not be on our audit form, but we know it to be wrong. Mm -hmm. We're going to point that out and we're going to teach and educate um, our clients about that because we see all sorts of things. And we have, you know, a combined experience from looking at hundreds of yards and so if we see something that's wrong, even if it's not an audit item, we're going to try and educate our clients. Um, one thing that I've told my staff is that if we work ourselves out of a job with a client, we've done a good job. That's the goal. We want to, we want to reduce the amount of work we have to do for each client. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that helps me look myself in the mirror and sleep good at night, knowing that we're doing what's right by our clients. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, you've you've grown through a lot of stuff there with 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 your father's business, with West Point, running your own business, and everything that you've done around that. Um, if if there's somebody fresh coming into the business, some a young or aspiring leader, you might have one in in in, in your own company, you know, and they want to grow and they want to develop their leadership skills um, either in the vehicle recycling industry or in environmental compliance or whatever. What sort of advice would you give them? Or in other words, what advice would the current Sarah give to the 22-year-old Sarah? Yeah, this one actually was, this one stumped me a little bit, but when I finally came to the answer that I wanted to, to give you on this one, it's soft skills, it's people. Mm -hmm. um, there is nothing on this planet that matters more than people. And one thing that has been a, a massive struggle for me is moving from the United States Army, which is probably one of the harshest, most conservative organizations on the planet, to the environmental industry in Bloomington, Indiana, which is an extremely, extremely liberal place to be. And the way that the people in those two different microcosms handle each other has been eye-opening for me. I, you, can't, you can't make an environmental scientist do push-ups or run because they did something wrong. And that's how we were trained in the military. And so I've had to, on the fly, develop soft skills that I was not trained to have in the United States Army. Um, and I, I see that just like we talked about, Andy, the, the whole thing of you know a teaching moment. 
it can't be a reprimand all the time. It has to be teaching. And for me, it is incredibly frustrating at times, but it is so very important. Um, if your people are not happy, if your people are not, well, if they're not happy, they're not productive. If they're not happy, they don't feel like they want to do a good job for you. There's, there's a change coming. There's a change coming on, on, on vehicles from internal combustion engines to a zero emission future. Um, increased levels of technology, complexity of design. Do you see a future where potentially vehicle recycling technicians will, will need to be licensed, will need to be registered and licensed by law? I think that it's possible. I mean, I think the, the place that I'm most equipped to speak about is the environmental component of that. And the, the, the thing that I see changing is if you have new equipment, you have new hazards, you have new pollutants, which means you have new laws, you have new problems, uh, new you know potential issues on your real estate. And that's something that I tell people all the time take good care of your real estate because someday you or your children or their children's children or whatever are going to want to sell that real estate and you don't want to mess it up. And so one of the really, really important things as the industry changes is to understand that legislation will also change, but it will change slower. Mm -hmm. So the industry changes rapidly. Legislation is developed more slowly, typically. And so what I stress for my clients to do is get on the train early, get compliant or do your best to predict what compliance is going to look like and do that now. So when these new laws and regulations come out, you're not surprised and you're not left, you know, standing there with, you know, big eyes thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to fix this? So, so get in early, get compliant as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and really, really, really good advice there. Um, is there one thing that the US government could do that would have a really, really big benefit to the vehicle recycling industry or, or even to vet environmental? What, what would that be and why? Yes, absolutely. And I think that just what you said is perfect. It's, it's something that I see that would benefit both recyclers and my company is so how to break this down. So when an environmental regulatory agency, so I'll use Indiana, for example, when IDEM sends inspectors out to a site, they are typically sending a stormwater inspector or a tire inspector or a mercury switch inspector or an air inspector. They are not sending an inspector that knows the entire workings of an automotive recycling facility. And what I've seen happen, which is extremely frustrating to both my company and our clients is an inspector from an agency will show up. And we've had this happen in a number of different states we work in. And the inspector will say, you are compliant. But what they do not say is you are compliant with the requirements as they relate to tires, period. And so what we've had happen is a tire inspector will go to a site, they will tell our client they're compliant. We will tell our client, hey, yeah, you're compliant in tires, but you need a stormwater per permit, you need these other things. But the client understands the inspector told me we're compliant, therefore we don't need to do what this consultant said. And then another inspector will come out and they will get fined or they will get in trouble because that regulator didn't understand that, yeah, the tires are fine, but there's a big stormwater issue right next to these tires. And so if the, if the states could have a, a person that knows auto recycling go out and inspect 
auto recycling facilities, it would be really nice because then when they say you're compliant, our clients would have the peace of mind that yes, we are compliant across the board. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, so good, so good. And looking, looking ahead, you know, where do you think recycling facilities or, or vet, what do you think they're going to look like in two years, five years, even 10 years from, from now? I think we're all going to be in hovercrafts. Is that the... <laughs> Uh, no, I think, I think it'll be, um, you know, the things that we're talking about with you, the EV batteries, and um, there's going to be incremental changes in the way automobiles are manufactured and the way that they're used. Um, there's, so because of that, there's going to be differences in the way we dismantle them and the way that we have to store the different materials, the way we have to dispose different materials. And as the industry changes, it's extremely important for recyclers to be dynamic and understand that, you know, for a century, give or take, cars pretty much had a lot of the same things going on. But right now we are going through some pretty impressive changes that completely revolutionize the way that we do business. Mm. And so that's going to be difficult for a lot of folks, because like I said, this industry is typically very set in its ways. And so the ones that are ready to be dynamic and flexible are the ones that are going to excel. And that, and that cycles back to the, to the leadership aspect that we were talking about earlier. Without question and education too. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And final question. We ask everybody that comes on the podcast, uh, this final question, what was your first car and do you have any special memories of that car? <laughs> well, my first car was a 1991 Grand Prix. Um, the only thing I really, well, I remember two things about it. One, it rolled downhill really quickly, um, as a police officer. So absolutely pointed out for me one day when I was going down a hill too quickly. Uh, the second thing I learned from that car is do not attempt to turn left out of the right lane on a one-way street, uh, because that ended up in myself no longer driving that car. But my, my favorite vehicle was my second one. It was a 1994 GM uh, extended cab pickup truck, manual transmission, had a DZ toolbox. It was bright red. And uh, <laughs> the thing I remember about it was my dad was teaching me how to drive a manual and it had the tightest, touchiest clutch ever. And so he's like, hey, let's go learn how to drive, Sarah. So myself, my father, my mother, my younger sister, and the two dogs piled into the truck and went out to the country road to learn how to drive a stick. And I was scared to death that I was going to kill the entire family and our pets <laughs> learning how to drive this truck. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Oh, that's amazing. What an amazing story. Um, funny enough, on, on a you know, slight sort of a story about that my daughter has just passed her driving test but she's passed her driving test can only drive an automatic transmission car she can't drive oh a stick. interesting so, yeah so so yeah funny how it goes it's uh, it's brilliant sarah that has been amazing thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us to, uh, today. yes sir thank you for the opportunity i really appreciate it brilliant okay thank you very much you're welcome Thank you to Sarah for her time and her knowledge. You can find more details about VET environmental engineering in the show notes for this episode. 
Please subscribe and take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating. And we look forward to welcoming you on our next podcast. Thank you.